Welcome to the Jackets Online podcast. I'm your host, Kelly Quinlan, joined with uh, joining me is Russell Johnson. Uh, we've been off for a couple of weeks. I've actually been battling multiple uh, non-COVID uh, uh, respiratory ailments. I even had laryngitis um, for much of the week's voice still not quite there as many of you could have have picked up on and um yeah it's been a weird week russell and i were both traveling and then um i was traveling and then things just kind of got away and then you know ultimately too i wanted russell to enjoy the world series so i wasn't trying to blow him up during that do you would you like to open up the podcast with i'll give you two minutes to talk about the braves um only two minutes yeah i'm gonna my time you here let's uh but yeah, Russell, uh, if you don't know, is a huge Braves fan, and um, he he was uh, quite um, useless basically during those games in the playoffs. Uh, as the Braves were playing, there was not much getting accomplished from Russell, so I was letting him be and letting him enjoy that run, which turned out to to be a nice thing for uh, both the, the city of Atlanta and the state of Georgia, and really the Braves are the team of all Southeast basically. So. Um, Russell, what did you think watching the the run by the Braves? Oh, I mean, it was it was amazing. It was, I mean, the game six was arguably the probably one of my my favorite moments I've had as a as a dad. Um, you know, it was the the ninth inning, and and I could tell that things were out of hand to a point to where they, they weren't going to blow it. And uh, I was I was joking with my wife. I'm like, I'm going to go wake up Emery. I'm going to go wake up Emery, and she's like you know, they could blow this. <laughs> and, <I> was, <laughs> and we, we talked briefly about the, the Falcon Super Bowl collapse and, you know, a few other things, especially, you know, being up here, there's a lot of Cleveland sports curses too. Um, so, so we talked about those for a minute and, and then I went and got Emory through the commercial break between the, the eighth and ninth inning. And uh, we were able to um, really w- watch that together and, and just see how excited she was and, how excited I was obviously when the, when Freddie caught the the final out. Um, the, the only thing I really will say about game six that I could not stand was when Joe Buck said what he said, when Freddie hit the home run, I, I was about ready to, uh, as last it bad as an Atlanta brave Russell. <laughs> I was like, come on, Joe. And you could tell, like, as he was saying it, he was like, what have I done? Why, why did I say that? I thought John Smoltz was going to like fold up a piece of paper and hit him on the head like a bad dog. Right. I mean, it was, that was something, Um, but really just, you know, seeing all of the pieces come together um, throughout the the season, because, you know, in July uh, we, we have a a really, really lengthy Braves thread um, in the regular season. And, you know, everybody was on board with, you know, selling in July, getting what you can for pieces and and just being ready for 2022 and beyond. Um, but once AA decided he, what he was going to do was you know, rebuild the outfield and you know, not trade any of his pitchers, not trade any of his major prospects and was able to come away with what he came away with. Um, I mean, it, it just it really became exciting. And um, I, I've actually got my daughter waking up every morning this morning. And she was like, so how many more months until uh, spring training? That's and cool. we we are actually actively working to plan a trip um, next year, like in March or February to um, spring training. So that's something I'm really excited about kind of seeing, seeing her, her love for, for baseball grow and really to 
hopefully she remembers um, this when she gets older, because I mean, to be honest with you, I was alive when the Braves won the world series the last time before like a few nights ago, but I wasn't really alive. Like I wasn't, I don't remember the moment. I don't remember, you know, Glavin pitching or anything like that. Yeah. I remember um, I was in, uh, yeah, probably was a, f- uh, I was probably maybe my sophomore year of high school or freshman year of high school when they won the first, the first one. And we had gotten used to the Braves being in the world series and when I was in middle school and stuff. And then, um, you know, the way they lost those world series to the, the twins and the, and the blue Jays. Um, and then, you know, obviously coming off that terrible 94 season, um, where the Braves were really good that year and the Expos looked like they were going to win. Um, and then they came and the Braves came back the next year and, and won, won, won the world series. Um, it, it was really interesting um, kind of watching it. And, you know, it was funny. We, we sat at a game in June or July, whatever that was. Um, I guess it was June and, you know, the Braves were not very good and actually neither were the Red Sox that were playing them at the time. And um, it was funny. You just didn't get the vibe that this was going to be a team that was going to go do anything or whatever. And um, I remember talking to you when they picked up Jock and Jock Peterson, and you were like, "That's interesting. He can kind of like audition here, and then maybe they'll move him again." You know, like that was what you had thought. And then they picked up like you know Rosario was hurt and stuff. It, it was a really interesting um, display of how to to go for it right like to try to win and the the truth is like they made a lot of money doing it um you know i sent russell's story about the financial piece of it and how much money they made just being competitive in in august september and october and and how it's worth you know making those runs and getting people behind you and stuff like that so i I think it was great um i'm real happy for for, you know, the bulk, of, I would say the bulk of our fan base overlaps with, with the Atlanta Braves and Falcons and, and the Hawks. Um, you know, some people have other, other primary teams or connections like I do. But, you know, at the end of the day, we all are happy. Um, the only bummer for me was the fireworks waking up my toddler uh, that, that my neighbors were setting off after the, after the win. Like the house two doors over was like shooting fireworks off. And, oh, wow. Um, there were a bunch Gosh. of different ones throughout the neighborhood and it was pretty late on a weeknight, but I understood. I didn't, I didn't get upset. I just went up and comforted my son, put him back to sleep. Um, so, you know, uh, I, I think it's, it's great that, you know, I think it shut some of that dumb Atlanta curse stuff up and, uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see what happens here. Hopefully, um, they're the sole champions in the state of Georgia uh, for, for the 2021 year uh, in any sport. Um, I think that's the, the, the major concern for tech fans right now. That was one of the funnier posts on the board actually was um, the guy who didn't want to like, see like a 30 for 30 or sec story or something about UGA's uh, 2021 season and the Braves coinciding or some bullshit like that. Oh, they, wanna, gosh. they want, uh, you know, uh, that you know, for our own sanity uh, on JOL, I'm, I'm hoping I don't see that happen. But um, so, qu- question: it, mm-hmm. uh, All counties, not all counties, but all the local counties, all the metro. Yep, 
So uh, my uh, oldest uh, is in middle schools, very excited that that it's closed. Um, I'm not because I got to try to go to the airport um, Friday morning to fly down. I have a weird flight time down to to, uh, Miami because we're going to go see a recruit tomorrow uh, night. So I wanted to get down there early. And uh, in case I needed to go somewhere um, that was not super close. And then um, I also, you know, was um, just not able to work the times out uh, for flights or whatever, trying to maximize our budget. So, um, so yeah, so yeah, the parades are tomorrow. Um, and that'll be interesting. It's interesting to close the school. My, my youngest one's daycare is staying open though, but they're warning people that traffic may be bad. So to keep that in mind with when they depart and arrive. Um, oh gosh. But yeah, the school, the school seems to just take any reason at all to, to close around here. I couldn't tell you the number of like weird snow day, fake snow days and stuff like that. We get around here or, They've closed school before because it was too cold. Um, they do that up here too now. And I sort I understand it to a point when it's like we, but I don't think it gets that cold here, like compared to up in Ohio or whatever. But um, yeah, it was twenty three degrees this morning. Yeah, it was so that's another fun part of this trip for tech. This is something we'll start dovetailing into the Miami stuff now. Like so. Georgia Tech heads down to Miami. It's going to be like 77 degrees for kickoff. I think when I leave tomorrow morning, it'll be 41 at my house. And I'm going to go into 77. Um, Wow. So, and then in two weeks, they're going to go to South Bend where it could be snowing theoretically. So a little bit of a crappy like draw going to Miami. I think the one good part is it tends to not be as thunderstormy this time of year um knock on wood here uh and and in <laughs> before the you get stuck at hard rock for 12 hours yeah exactly um i mean yeah that's the funny part about this man so like i like to not over travel but we have to book things further out so generally i'm gone friday to sunday right and um i can't book like a flight home saturday night because most a, there's just not a lot of flights generally in the like Saturday's a slow day for airlines pull back their schedules. But B, like you never know what's going to happen. Like look at the Clemson, Clemson game earlier this year. We had a two hour delay. Like you, if something like that happens, you're sunk. And I've watched like Ken did it one time from the AJC and like him like panicking as a game was dragging out because he was concerned he wasn't going to get have time to A, right and B, get to the airport to catch his flight to go home and like you know that's not worth it to me um so i usually just be like some other reporters and just not go not travel uh, yeah there's been some of that this year there's been um you know it's funny um i've covered more games this year than probably in any other year uh because i've picked up a couple usf games for our usf site and actually went up to east carolina every year i try to go to one school i haven't been to georgia tech did not have one of those teams on their schedule this year so i made the trip up to greenville north carolina last week in literally just dreadful weather and covered um a uh, usf ecu game that was pretty fugly and then um 
you know, obviously next year, I don't think there's one next year. For, oh, Central Florida next year, which I've, I've not been to the bounce house. So that'll maybe I don't have to do anything else next year. We'll see how the schedule unfolds. But yeah, my goal is to try to hit like every major stadium I can. And then later on, I'll try to start knocking off like those Sunbelt Mac schools and Mountain West and stuff here and there on some bye weeks. And my goal is to hit like all of the FBS stadiums, but um, during my career. So a um, little, wow, little wow. side trivia. That's ambitious. I mean, I'm at 40 something right now, I think of 130 or 132, whatever it is right now. Um. Well, actually, but it's not. Uh, that might be a misnomer because some of those are like probably bowl games. So true. Yeah, that would kind of mess you up. You know, um, and not all of them are like the Orange Bowl where you're in the like the Belk Bowl I've covered, which is in and they see championship in Charlotte or or you know I've covered USFN. They see championship in Ray J or um whatever the, the weird digression um but yeah it, it's been a crappy week for georgia tech uh it's been a crappy couple of weeks the duke game was ugly really they seem to have like sort of um they peaked in that north carolina game and then ever since then it's been sort of downhill and i don't know what the reason specifically is for it, it it's been weird they've been in a couple of close games. They won one of them um, and then lost the other two, which were the Virginia and Virginia tech games. And the Virginia game wasn't super close. They made it close at the end, but uh, they kind of got pulled away from the VT game. Uh, you know, they had a chance to make it a three point game in the fourth quarter and, and didn't convert on that fourth down and fell behind and ended up losing. But um it's just been weird. I, there's something, something's not right. Right. Like, I think that's something we can all agree on watching it from the outside, like, especially on the defensive side of the ball, it's not right. Like offensively, you can understand what, where their issues are. And then they've had a couple of games where they scored, they scored 40 points against Virginia. That should win you a game in the ACC scoring 40 points. Um, just can't get off the field. And Virginia tech just, almost Paul Johnson them with these death marches uh, in that game and, and limited the number of possessions. And I, I, I don't know what's wrong. Like um, I, I just, it's, it seems like something's not working. We're in year three here, same defensive staff that was together at temple basically, except for uh, Marco Coleman and pop. And it's not working. Like they're not getting pressure. They're not covering well, and the linebackers, when they are not playing downhill, really struggle. So, I mean, I don't know. What do you see when you watch it on TV, Russell? Is that a fair assessment of kind of what's going on? Yeah, I think uh, you, you kind of hit the, the nail on the head with everything there. Um, I think they saw some success with some some variations in formation uh, with the the three three five that Everybody was, it was a talk of the town. I mean, goodness gracious, I had mailbag questions about how the three, running the three, three, five long-term could affect defensive tackle recruiting. And I'm like, this was one game. Like, like we don't need to be going down that far of a rabbit hole yet. And to be honest with you, I feel kind of validated, but with 
with uh, my answer in terms of the, the results that have followed in the, the recent weeks. Now, I'm not I'm not here to tell you because I'm not at practice. And even if I was, I wouldn't be able to, you know, give that information. But it, w- it would be surprising to see a defense against Miami that was primarily in a 3-3-5. Um, or even uh, like I would anticipate, you know, being back to the the four two five, or even more to just a, a base defense, um, rather than you know trying to outsmart everybody. I guess is one way to put it. Well, um, I think know, I mean I think if you're going to be in the three three five, you've got a blitz, right? Like, it yeah, makes no I mean, that's, sense. That's what it's designed for. It's not a it's not a run defense, right? Like unless you have you got Terrence Cody playing nose tackle and you know, two massive defensive ends that can just blow the lineup. Like right. it's, it is not a run. You're just going to give up three or four yards easily, which is what Virginia Tech did. Yeah, exactly. And if you're, if you're not blitzing in the three, three, five, I mean, what are you really doing? Like, cause if you, you're in that formation for a reason. So either, you know, double down on it and, and use it in the manner that it, that many others do because you know a lot of teams in the power five level they'll use a three three five and they'll use it as like a like, like a secondary a secondary scheme like like georgia yeah, Tech it's like a doing third day yeah like a third down um you know like your 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 third down defense third and long defense right yeah exactly but it, it's not something that you're going to run you know on first and 10 or second and three like it's just not that's not what you're doing because Number one, you don't have the personnel to do it. Number two, if you're not blitzing and you're not getting home, you're, you're leaving your secondary out to dry, which has been, you know, an issue. Yeah, I mean, the the linebackers are – you have two downhill guys and a guy who plays well in space, right? Like, and that's your personnel. You don't have guys that are really designed to do both. Um, and they're thin, right? You still – Tyson Miguez has, you know, has been out all year. Um, and, and Trinellis Tatum's a kid. And so you have, you know, basically one veteran backup and Demetrius Knight, who was playing quarterback all spring. To me, it's just, um, it's a, it's not a conducive um, system for the personnel. And, and you have all these D tackles who you've been training and, Honestly, now they've lost, you know, three or four games worth of experience um, from being in this different scheme, right? And it just shocked me. I thought, hell, I would have come out in a 4-3 against Virginia Tech. Like, if you're going to have three linebackers on the field, they're not – they can't – they have two guys they throw the ball to, and that's it. So, man-to-man, those two guys, have your safeties help over the top, and then try to contain the tight end. If you did all of that, you would have probably had a better shot than than what the strategy was. And and I, you know, it's tough for me because um, it's a little bit different than even your situation. Like, I spent a lot of time with these guys, so it's tough for me to be saying. But you know, I I would be shocked if there's not at least some responsibility slash staff changes unless this really gets turned around here in this final four games. By the way, your fourth game's against, you know, the best team in the country right now. It'd be pretty damn hard to get off the field easily in that one. It's going to, you know, if they want to score 80 on you, that might be tough to stop with 
if you had George O'Leary and John Tenuta coaching the defense together, like um, you just don't have the horses right now to match up with them. So I think it's going to be really interesting to see this Miami game, how they play. You know, I did a podcast with um, Gary Furman, our, our cane sport guy. The board's been getting a kick out of it because Gary's very, uh, very pro Miami ish um, in his approach. And, and uh, <laughs> they were surprised at how much I pushed back on some of the stuff that was going on. And I, I was basically like, look, everybody except for Duke and the Coastal can beat everyone else on a good day. Uh, you know, and on a bad, if you catch Kenny Pickett on a bad day, or you catch, um, you know, some, you know, whoever on a bad day, you're you got a chance to win. You know, like I think if Georgia Tech played Virginia Tech ten times, they might win four or five or six of them, depending on, you know, some how th- some things will go. Right? If you don't have three yeah. guys cover the wrong person on a on a fake screen that turns right. into a wide open touchdown for Trey Turner, like. That changed yeah, get, the whole game. Or when Gibbs fell down, you know, on his way to the end zone when he rolled his ankle. Gibbs falls the, down or the two plays, the touchdowns that got called back. Yeah. Uh, Gibbs' second touchdown and then the one by Adonicus on the uh, – Adonicus' second touchdown on the the mesh pattern. Um, you know, like it's just stuff like that. And that's what's frustrating. You look at this team, they're one and four in close games. If they're three and two, they're sitting at five wins and and everybody's feeling pretty good about a bowl with Boston College coming up next week. And instead, you're like, you got a claw and I I think if you get to five wins, I think you've hit what I thought was sort of the the minimum mark on the season. But anything less than that, I think is it's unacceptable. Like you can't win three or four games a year at Georgia Tech when the program has been doing better than that for 25 years and you, and the, the part of the team you inherited talent on is the part that sucks like this, the secondary and, and some defensive pieces. And, um, you know, I, I get that not a lot of time has passed, but they also haven't recruited like 50 DBs to replace these guys because they think they suck. Right. It's not like the defensive line where they, had to rebuild like I get that part I give them a pass on that part of the game right because that was a total rebuild because they had lost everyone was a senior except for Brandon Adams that played meaningful snaps on Paul's last year they were all gone so they start we're starting at square one basically um the day Jeff got hired secondary was not that was not the case and you know uh Joey Weaver who's a buddy he wrote a story on the Rumble Seat blog I think it was today um, basically just calling it out. He's like four of the five guys who started in the secondary against Clemson and Jeff Collins first game started this game against um, or played a lot in this game against Virginia Tech. And they're not playing better. And, that, and that's, you know, a blind person could see that. Like, no offense to blind people, but like, it's, it's in this this is where you got to see like you you know Jeff talks about wanting to have an elite program right like this is where you got to make an elite you got to develop players that's like a part of being elite and there doesn't seem like the guys are getting better in the back end and that that's very concerning to me um, as a as a uh, 
guy who covers the team and sees them all the time. And I think the frustration piece of that is showing up on the players too, like on the field a little bit. I mean, how many games have we seen where like someone pointed at each other, right? Like on, in the secondary, like, and they're like yelling at each other or point fingers. That's not good, man. And it's not hard. It's not rocket science. You don't see other teams doing that. That's a coaching execution player issue. And if the guys can't handle it, pull them off the field, put someone else in. Like, that's the other part of it. So it'll be interesting to see. Miami's really interesting. Uh, have you watched much of Van Dyke this year, Russell? He's a, a much more down-the-field quarterback. Than, He's an old-school um, Miami quarterback. He throws the football down the field with a big arm. Yeah, yeah, he's much more he, – he fits Miami football a lot better than uh, De'Eric King did. De'Eric King kind of felt like a like a transplant from the moment he got there in terms of um, – I feel like Lashley was kind of limited in his offensive play calling uh, because he didn't really have the the confidence in, in King's ability to, to push the ball down the field, uh, to make throws in tight windows. And, and I think that um, Van Dyke has done a, an admirable job of – you know, since taking over of number one, you know, really kind of rallying the team because Miami's season could have could be about the same place um, Georgia Tech is right now, or worse because you know had, had they lost to Pitt, had they you know if they continued their their downward trend they were headed on. Um, I don't know if Diaz is still coaching, um, but to be blunt, I'm not sure. Diaz keeping his job is a bad thing for teams in the ACC. Um, well, that's the rub for their fans this week, right? Like that was yeah. something that Gary Furman about. I was like, your fans wanted Manny gone. They were like, they had the pitchforks out after the App State game where they barely escaped beating App State. Yeah. And we're staring at 0-3, I think it was at that point. Um, they had to kick a field goal at the end of the game to win it. And App State screwed like two plays up where they could have got a chance to hit a game-winning field goal. Um, you know, uh, it's interesting because, like, I, I, you know, we should. I don't know if you saw like the pictures from their last couple of home games, but there's no one there either. Yeah, like, it's terrible. <clears throat> it looks like um, the attendance you would see for like a, um, like a Georgia State football game when they used to play in the Georgia Dome when Bill Curry was coaching and they first started. And they were really bad, and you'd they do this pan out, and you'd see like some random people sitting in little different spots around an NFL stadium, and that's what it looks like right now. And I'll be curious to see what the crowd's like. Uh, yeah, I get the 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 vibe from the Miami fans is this is their last like chance at a loss. They feel like they're going to win out the rest of their season. This is the Georgia Tech's the last team that could beat them, uh, where there could be a little bit of a matchup issue. So. I don't know. It's going to be interesting. Obviously the big key I think is they got a, is it Charleston Rambo? That's his name. The wide receiver for Miami. They got to try to, they're going to have to lasso him in and not let him do a Trey Turner or some of the other big receivers have done against them this season. I think if they can keep him under control and, um, uh, and Mike Carly, I think that they got a chance to be, you know, be in this game. I don't think they're crazy dynamic running the football. Their offensive line still, it might be worse than Georgia Tech's. Um, yeah, it might be worse than UNC's. That's the thing. That's the that's the I, thing I'm really paying close attention to is um, 
you know, seeing if Georgia Tech can, can find ways to generate pressure um, because, you know, in the UNC game, it, it seemed like they had kind of flipped a switch and, and turned a quarter, um, not just in, in that case, but um, throughout the, the whole defense, um, being able to, to generate pressure kind of helped the secondary. And then as a result, it helped the offense because they were you know, having more possessions and more chances to score. Um, but, you know, if Ivy, Dominic, you know, Lockhart, the, those guys, and even uh, TK, anybody can can get pressure on the quarterback and, and get in Van Dyke's face. Um, you know, Van Dyke is a, a, a quite confident player. Um, but if, you know, you can get, get to him like you did Hal and you know, get in his head a little bit, anything can happen. I mean, you know, Miami's favored to win the game by, I believe, over a touchdown, right? I think it was nine and a half or ten the last I saw. Um, yeah, I mean, they the, the experts expect them to win, and it seems like they expect it to be either, you know, comfortably or at least, you know, two possessions worth. And you know, they can, Georgia Tech can get that down to, to one possession, in my opinion. Number one, if Sims doesn't turn the ball over, which is a whole other topic of talking about the offense. Um, but on the other hand, if, if they can get, get to Van Dyke and, and stop the run, um, you know, early in the season, a lot of teams were, were passing the ball and passing the ball and passing the ball. And um, once, I don't remember who it was that, that ran the ball and ran the ball really well against the um, defense. And then, Things kind of picked up. A lot of teams started running the ball. Um, I know Durant had a – I believe he had a good game. Um, you know, it, they seem to struggle with those kind of running backs who aren't like J.P. Mason types, but, you know, they can – like a one-cut type back. And I believe, uh, you know, Jalen Knighton for, for Miami is that. So that's what's going to be interesting. Yeah, Georgia Tech's dropped to the bottom 100 and passes intercepted – interceptions thrown – all on Jeff Sims because uh, Jordan Yates was not turning the ball over when he was in. And Jeff's, you know, had five in the last three games. Is that right? Yeah. Um, and it'll be interesting because Miami, the one thing that's interesting about Miami's defense is both their safeties and one of their corners are all freshmen, right? And then their middle linebackers are freshmen too. So I think there's opportunities there for, for scheming. Uh, in the passing game, just Jeff's got to protect and value the football, and and he can't can't have possessions where they don't move the ball down the field a little bit, and they can't be going three and out. And they've they've started to revert back to some of those habits in the last couple of games. And it's dug a hole for the defense too. And I think the defense seems to play up and down a little bit as the offense plays as well. I think there is such thing as momentum based off of that, and if you're going tit for tat with scoring that gives your defense a little more confidence, gives your defensive play callers a little more confidence to gamble and to try to rattle Van Dyke. And the one thing that I think everyone just doesn't want to see on Saturday is a, a blowout. I think a blowout's very bad for Jeff Collins. If they get walk in there and lose 35, 17 or something like that, that's, that's not going to be uh, good for anyone's job security situations in, in this rebuild for, for his program. And, I think, you know, when you look at everything, to me as recruiting going in the right direction, I think the team talent's getting better. I think the strength and conditioning seems to be okay. Uh, you know, I, that's harder to gauge. Um, but the kids really like Coach Lou and what he's doing. I just think the the player development piece is 
working at some positions like you're seeing Dante Smith develop or Adonica Sanders and Kalani Norris or even, you know, the two Dillons or, or Brent Key, you know, managing to, to get a lot out of, you know, Paula Viapulu or Will Lay or Mikey Minahan. At center. Mikey Minahan's played a great season at center for them and has been a real un- unsung hero for this team. They just don't quite have the horses on the offensive line yet. Sims is still learning, um, and it'll be interesting to see what his final numbers look at and how his progression has gone. I think he is playing better overall um, and turning the ball over less, but um, it's just been um, the defense that we're – you know, the defensive line, I think, is getting better. They're still super young. And then it just kind of when you the further away you get from line of scrimmage, the defense, the worse they seem to be in terms of progressing. And that's what's going to catch up with them at the end of this, like and what's going to put put Jeff in a weird spot at the end of the season, Um, because ultimately his reputation's on this. Right. He's a defensive coach. And if you're one of the worst defensive teams in the country at the end of the year, I mean, your numbers are going to get better playing Notre Dame and Georgia last two games of the season so you got to start getting some better numbers right now and um yeah i just don't know what to think about this team every week's like a a freaking roller coaster man like of what you're gonna see like you just don't know which team's gonna show up and uh you know they'll come out like duke up in the first quarter of a game and then duke will run all over them for three quarters you know like I, I, it's been really maddening to watch. Um, and I just feel like they still don't have anything they can hang their hat on either offensively or defensively to when they need to regain control of the game. I think Dave can dial up some nice passing plays and stuff and maybe give breaks off a run, but there's not, you know, like you do, you do hear what I'm saying, Russell? Yeah, no, I think, um, it, I mean, I know you're not asking me to to break down Pat Node's um, go-to plays, and I know Miami's coaching staff isn't listening to this, to this podcast. Um, but the one thing that I would say is, um, I wouldn't call it like bread and butter, um, but there, when Gibbs runs an angle route and man coverage, mm-hmm. like Sims will check pre-snap to see if it's man coverage, and if it's man coverage, he'll stick with the play, and Gibbs will run an angle route from the backfield. And nine times out of ten, if he catches that ball in man coverage on a linebacker, he's going between thirty yards and a touchdown. Yeah, and um, like that—that's their thing, and they try it at least once a game. And one time they tried it with Mason, and it didn't go very well. And but I mean, just uh, those type of things are things that they need to be able to show on the defensive side of the ball. Like you, you need to have a blitz package that you know is going to work. Like that's how defensive coordinators and how, you know, like uh, Clemson and, and Venables got to where they were because they had this blitz package. I cannot remember what it was called off the top of my head, but they would always talk about it on the broadcast and how they'd be, they'd be putting people in out of position, but it worked because they practiced it and they understood their responsibilities and they trusted each other. And if one person made a mistake, somebody else was already not done fulfilling their responsibility, but they were able to not overcompensate, but be able to um, limit the, the damage 
Um, but what you're seeing with Georgia Tech defensively, in my opinion, is is one guy's making a mistake and another guy's making a mistake. And there's another guy who's trying to make the, the big play. And instead of making the big play, he makes no play because the guy's running behind him for a touchdown. Yeah. Yeah. I um, mean, you know, we could talk about this till our, our faces turn blue. Tech fans certainly have on the board. But um, yeah, that was another thing I was going to say. You know, if Miami somehow does blow, if they do blow Georgia Tech out, our moderators, <laughs> us especially, um, moderating that game thread is always fun. Be turning my phone off, be like, mm, <laughs> Russell, I'm out. I'm, I'm busy. Uh, my phone's not working. Uh, you got to handle this. But, you know, I think at the end of the day, um, I do expect them to be competitive in this game. I think that, um, I think that uh, this is a good opportunity for for Georgia Tech to maybe pull an upset, have a win. Miami's the only team they have a win streak against, other than Wake Forest, who they haven't played uh, in a long time. I think in the league right now. Have to think about that. Boston College, maybe too. Oh no, they lost last year up there. Yeah, I was gonna say they lost last um, year. Oh, oh, I know they have a win streak too against Louisville. Um, they beat them. One year, I remember he had like the hundred yard touchdown interception return. They beat the crap out of them. Uh, with Petrino was still there, and then they beat them last year in Atlanta. Um, they, but they don't play them very often. So I think them and Miami are the teams they have win streaks over right now in the ACC, which is not great. Um, but yeah, I, Jeff needs some wins, man. Jeff can recruit. Um, he's done a lot of interesting things for the program. But like you, you know, at the end of the day, Georgia Tech fans are very, very much into, um, you know, you know quality and, and and they'll understand right if you line up and get blown off the ball or something they don't understand is when a guy leaves somebody uncovered and he runs for a touchdown and you can't have that stuff like and that's going to be that's the thing that's driving the people the most crazy right now and i think if you're just seeing you know even if it was a play where trey turner just beat a db on a 50 50 ball they get that right like that happens okay it's football it's the just the weird, like broken plays on defense that, that's killing them. And um, it'll be interesting. I'm curious kind of what it'll be like on the road and all that too. Um, so we kind of pit, let's take a breath here. We'll pivot now to talking about recruiting and I'd like to share a word with you now about our sponsor, Section 103, who bring you the best Georgia Tech clothes out there. Original, interesting clothing with the official Tech gold and the official word mark and things that are hard to find anywhere else. I think it's the best uh, best Tech apparel you can find on the interwebs. It's like the stuff that coaches wear. It's really cool. You get the AT- ATL logo that they have. Um, all the stuff, super comfortable, super cool. And they even have youth sizes and women's clothes and, and are constantly adding things. I think uh, the guy who does it, I've gotten to know a little bit through uh, social media, and he just does an amazing job. Jackets Online uh, subscribers can get a discount of 10% off their first order by using the code Jackets Online, all caps. 
and check out section103.com. Um, great website. They have all kinds of cool stuff. And, and, you know, people for years have been asking me for cool Georgia Tech designs, unique things. Um, and even the coaches are starting to wear that stuff. You know, Andrew Thacker is wearing uh, one of the shirts at practice, which I thought was really cool and something I pointed out, not knowing that it was one of these designs. So check out our sponsor, Section 103. Great, great company. I guess just kind of, hey, what's like kind of the feedback been and the vibes from people watching this on the outside? I know it's like a four alarm fire to tech fans, but kind of what's what's the vibes you've been getting off of recruits lately? So, I mean, you know, there there are some recruits who, you know, going back to the preseason before the season started, they had some some expectations and, you know, things they wanted to see, um, steps they wanted to see the program take, uh, most notably bowl eligibility or, you know, fighting for that. Um, but, you know, as the season has progressed, and, and this is where I think, I mean, I said it in the live Q&A tonight on Jackets Online, um, but it seems like this is where either the, the coaching staff is doing a, a great job kind of um, keeping the class together or the class is keeping themselves together by communicating and, and talking about how they you know, want to do this together and everything. Um, but it just seems like there's not that emotional reaction to things going on on the field. Um, if, like, let's say, for example, Jalen Marshall, cornerback, staff safety commit, is is watching the secondary and he sees somebody blow coverage and he sees somebody blow coverage again and then he sees somebody else blow coverage in his in his mind he's like when i get there i'm gonna i can beat that guy yeah if he's still there i can beat that guy i can beat that guy i can get that i can get those reps and then you know you you've got other guys like you know zach pyron who's been committed for i don't know has it been a month yet i don't no, know he, probably not even a month yeah but he, he's been committed and you know he's he's watching the the quarterback room and watching Jeff Sims, watching the offense. And uh, there, there's, there's not much emotion there. And, sure. you know, with, with several of the commits, including um, one of the, the highest rated ones, like I said, going into the season, there was some type of um, expectation. And it, it seems like those expectations have been, I wouldn't say they've been tempered, but they don't seem to be making or breaking their commitment to the program and to the school. Hmm. Does, that, does that make sense? Yeah, no, I guess um, that's sort of what I think people wanted to hear. And I think some of it too, like a lot of the schools that would be in the mix for these kids are having their own issues right now. If you look at like Florida and Florida State and some of the other programs around that are trying to maybe flip, poach, whatever you want to term it, yeah. th- things are not going swimmingly for them either. So, um Right. You know, that I think that definitely helps in that situation as well. Basically, everybody sucks and we're <laughs> in a way. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like, it, I mean, not to be flippant about it, but, you know, everybody's having their struggles right now for whatever reason, especially in the ACC. So it's like, uh, let me be real about it. You know, let's, let's not get too worked up one way or the other. And yeah. Uh, and, and that's one thing I always tell people too, like they, 
a lot of people thought they wouldn't be able to recruit when um, they won three games the first year. And, you know, the thing we told them then is like, kids are like, well, that means they suck and I can come in and play, you know, like, right. And that's how they view it too. Like um, kids are competitive and what they're ideally not looking for at a place like Georgia tech is they don't want to walk into an Alabama situation where you got two like NFL guys there, like at Georgia tech, you're not going to, you're not going to just get those kids like no kids lining up you're not going to get like the next Jameer Gibbs to come while Jameer Gibbs is there. Like, like that guy, right. that's the, the, you know, a, a life, a generational talent guy, like, is that yeah. coming to sit behind Jameer? Like that's just not happening, but you can get Antonio Martin. Who's pretty good. Or, yeah. um, you know, you can get, you know, Zach Pyron to come, but you're probably not going to go get like the number one quarterback in the country because Jeff Sims is a freshman still technically, you know, like, so that's part of this too. And, you know, this is where Jeff's going to earn his money, right? Like if he can hold this together, if, if things don't go well and he can hold it together, right. Let's say they don't get to four or five wins. If he holds the class together, I consider that a pretty successful operation as well. And, um, and that's what he's got to hang his hat on a little bit too. And, um, that's where it's going to get real interesting over, I'd say the next two months, um, heading into that first signing period, it's going to be really fascinating yeah. to see <clears throat> what the marketplace looks like. And I think the one other benefit, um, that not a lot of people have talked about either is yes, they've adapted some rules that sort of favor the Alabamas of the world, uh, in terms of class counters but they didn't give people any cap relief on scholarships. So uh, everybody's still kind of looking at smaller classes than normal. And I think that's squeezing, that's creating some sort of downward pressure too. That's allowing a lot of schools to, there's just seems to be less movement, less decommits than normal this time of year. Um, unless you're Vanderbilt. Yeah. Unless you're, unless you're one of these teams that just is truly horrid, like Vanderbilt's not competitive, right? Like, or your TCU and you fired your coach in the middle of the season, like, uh, or asked him to, to retire at the end of the year. And he told you that gave you the double birds and walked off um, as Gary Patterson did. But like, yeah, aside from those situations or like FSU, when they like really hit the skids to start the year, you haven't really seen um, a ton of uh, decommits, you know, they've all been the schools where the USC's and where they've had coaching changes or something kind of dramatic go on um in florida well again something dramatic going on <laughs> uh gators are certainly um in a weird spot themselves right now and and uh talk about a guy who's in a, a weird coaching situation there is uh jeff's former boss um dan mullen who inexplicably yeah. inexplicably hired uh Todd Grantham to be his DC, despite all empirical evidence pointing out that that was a bad hire. And then yeah. writing, writing or dying with that. That's not his worst staff, but we won't go there. Sure. But I don't think he's helping. <laughs> no, no. But, um, and I think that, uh, you know, with that being said, you know, you've got a school like, and I hate to talk about it, but, you know, Georgia is, is capitalizing on all of the, the down down things that are going on sure whether it's florida being down whether it's um 
schools in the state of Texas. Really, even not- Auburn. Look at Auburn. Like Auburn's normally a thorn in their side, and they're having a lot of issues getting their class momentum going because they have a staff that's kind of weird and a head coach who's not from this area. Yeah. And you, and you talk about Florida, like you said, Florida State's in a weird spot. Like Kirby, and then Kirby's going, they're going national now because they're winning. Yeah. You know? And then Miami, I mean, you know, we're <laughs> talking about recruiting, and you know, I guarantee you that Georgia Tech will send I wouldn't say the entire coaching staff will be on the road tomorrow, but there there will be a, a 305, 404 takeover, or whatever it is they want to call it, like they did um, back in 2019. Um, but I, I anticipate that there will be several coaches at high school games. And and to be honest with you, it seems like the past couple of years that Georgia Tech's had more of a presence locally recruiting than, than Miami has in Miami. And- I was- I was joking with our Miami publisher before we started recording that um, that I think right now Georgia Tech easily has them beat on local commitments, which they do. Yeah. Uh, there's z- Miami has zero point zero local kids committed in their class. They have a kid from Fort Myers and a kid from Orlando. There's only everyone else is out of state, which is amazing. And Georgia Tech has what you have. Um, you have Jalen Marshall, you have, um, the D tackle Alton Tarver, you have, um, the 23 kid, right? Um, Javin Simpkins. And there's, I feel like there's one more Florida. You've got Bonica. Bonica. You've also got Delane. It was in Fort Fort Myers. Myers. Yep. I mean, close enough, but. Um, Yeah. It's, uh. I, I mean, it's amazing to me that that's what they're you know working with, but that shows how little faith there is in 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 May Diaz and what's going on there. They're they're trying to rebuild their local recruiting. So you know, I guess that points out that you know as bad as things are going on the field right now for Georgia Tech, uh, you know, ultimately they've lost four games where they had a chance to win all of them in the fourth quarter, and the bulk of their class is still local kids, right? They have 18 commits and I would say, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Ten of the 18 are local, what I would call local kids, like in the Metro. Yeah. So, um, and that's something that, you know, Jeff can't lose. Yeah. And I think that, um, he, uh, Patrick Suttis and, and the rest of the staff have really placed an emphasis on that. Um, no, they're not going to, turn down a highly talented kid elsewhere whether it's in the state of georgia or beyond um but they are going to spend resources time and effort on the metro and you know just continuing to do that over and over again is starting to pay dividends because you see them being able to to hold on to kids like leo blackburn last year and and horace lockett this year and, you know, there's even some others, you know, Tyler Gibson being able to hold on to him from Johns Creek. That's a, a, it'll be a, that would be a big win for, for key. That'll be his first four star high school offensive line signee. Yeah. Um, and right now they have one, two, three, four, five, five, four star guys, um, you know, trying to get a couple more uh, in the back end of this class and, they're at 24, I think, in the team rankings right now. So, you know, there's 
they're still doing well there. It's just the on the field product has got to catch up with the recruiting. And if they can figure that piece of it out, then I think you'll have it rolling. But um, that's going to be the sort of interesting X factor. And it'll be, I think it's going to be a really interesting couple of weeks on jackets online leading up into the end of the season and, and the, the whole um, launch of the first signing period. And ultimately too, some we didn't even touch on it all today and we're not going to tonight um, is basketball, which starts up um, on the ninth um, with Miami of Ohio and, and what to expect from that group. And Josh Pastner's wife's about to pop with baby and uh it's you know i think there's a lot of interesting stuff going on i think people are in their feelings a little bit about football because they expected a lot more what did i say at the beginning of the year russell i said five to seven wins is progress yep. so still has a chance to hit that you got three games here to realistically have a shot at pulling out a win i think the last one's just going to be a lost cause but hell if he wins the last one then i think everyone will be happy with the season so yeah. uh if they pulled that miracle out of their uh bottoms i think that uh jeff, they might might get jeff another seven-year contract true <laughs> um any final thoughts buddy i i know you're still uh loving on the braves um thing riding that high oh yeah you know i'm just really excited um to believe this is the final final weekend of regular season football in the state of Georgia. Um, Alabama playoffs start this week. Um, and then the other big thing, which we'll talk more about next week, is is the St. Francis running back, Ron Kelman, will be playing IMG in a couple of weeks. And I believe that game is on national TV. Oh, cool. um, so I think I may do like a, a little watch party or something on, on JOL, depending on the time and only God knows what's going on with my schedule or my wife's schedule at that point. But um, just you know, I, I would say to to watch the game. You know, this this weekend th- th- there won't be very many recruits, in my opinion, at the the Miami Georgia Tech game that are targets for the twenty two class. At least um, you know you, you may see you know flip go down there. It's two hundred and what forty pounds 250 pounds of him <laughs> whatever whatever's left of you mean him. the yeah, rally yeah. quick of the uh state of um, georgia yeah yeah some something like that um you may see him make his way down there and there then there may be a few um 23s but other than that i don't really see um georgia georgia tech and miami really going at it um like they did early on in uh, jeff's jeff's tenure especially the way Manny's recruiting. Yeah. It just seems like they're despite their records are sort of going in opposite directions. Uh, One's getting better on the football field. The other one's uh, getting better in the recruiting. And uh, as a, as was pointed out this week to what I guess the talk of Atlanta radio was Kirby smart said that recruiting is the lifeblood of your program. It's absolutely correct, right? Like, this is not uh, whether it's the portal or or signing kids or whatever. Like, that's what's going to move the needle. And and George Tech's doing a good job there, and, and Miami's struggling. And I think that ultimately probably says more about the 
the state of your program in some ways than than your win loss record right now. So yeah. hopefully that bodes well for for Georgia Tech. And I'm not trying to carry water for anybody or anything. I just I'm not as down on things as a lot of other people are. Um, so I just say you know keep it in mind, enjoy the game, support the kids, show up for the Boston College game for God's sakes, and uh, I think that'll do it. We're gonna wrap it up. I got an early flight tomorrow, and, and Russell's got to get up. So uh, this has been the Jackets Online podcast. Be good, everybody. Go.